We're going to be over into the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Also, we'll be bouncing around into Luke, chapter 8, Matthew, chapter 8. But mostly, we're going to be in Mark, chapter 4. There was a Sunday school teacher who was trying to demonstrate the difference between right and wrong to her young teen class. So, she chose stealing as an example. The teacher said, all right, let's use this as an example. If I were to go into a man's pocket and take his wallet with all his money, what would I be? The teenager in the back freely offered the answer. You'd be his wife. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh, man, we got some fun with that, couldn't we? We're looking today, is it okay to be frustrated? i use that story as an example because sometimes we don't understand the difference between frustration and some other things that go on in us. And so we took this uh, on before and we were talking about some things with it. The last couple of weeks, we were look, as we've been looking over this area of frustration, we saw that frustration sets in when we feel powerless, confused, and unjustly treated. Frustration comes from three sources. We looked at this last week. It comes from ourselves. It comes from others. And it comes from God. When we see something lacking in ourselves, when we don't like how other people have treated us, or we don't feel that we've gotten a just thing from God, we can begin to get frustrated. Gideon was frustrated with, first off, his own lack. We looked at that two weeks ago. And God's overwhelming call. Moses, he was frustrated with other people's non-acceptance of the call that God had given him. And later with God's continuing harassment about that call. In the midst of these things, or the midst of these things just wonderfully worked out for Moses. We saw that when he was rejected by his people as being a deliverer, and he fled over into the land of Midian, sat down by a well. Some women showed up. When they got the water out, the shepherds came over to take all the water. And so Moses jumped in and used his anointing as a deliverer to deliver the daughters from the shepherds. And it worked. <laughs> he was given an anointing to deliver an entire nation and he used it successfully to deliver seven women. Is that underwhelming, the call of God? <laughs> Samson was given an anointing to deliver an entire nation. Most of the time, he only used it on a few people and those who benefited him. You can have an overwhelming and a great call from God and never use it for what it's supposed to be. Moses was content to live in Midian. The Word of God tells us. As he was living there, or as he was there, sat down by the well, these women came on over. They went on back, told their dad, hey, somebody helped us out. He said, well, go get them. So they went and got them. And he was content to live with the man. And he gave him his wife, Zipporah. So Moses was rejected in Egypt. But he comes over here, just sits down by the well, and everything seems to fall into place. He's got a wife. He's got a family to live with. He's got a job. And the anointing as a deliverer is working. And he was content with that. And he would not listen to the call of God to get him out of that. And so the burning bush came up. And Moses still was arguing with God about not doing it. We said there are four kinds of responses to God. First off, no, I can't do that. Basically, I can't. There's a lack of ability on my side. Another response we get out to God is, no, I won't do that. We use the phrase, I don't want to. I don't want to. It's a lack of willingness. We said, yes. Here's the third response. Yes, I'll get to that soon. In other words, I should do that. 
It's a recognition of responsibility. And four, yes, I'll do that now. I will. An acceptance of responsibility. Yes, I will get to that soon. A recognition of responsibility. Yes, I'll do that now. An acceptance of the responsibility. Well, over here in Mark chapter 4, I had pondered on this before, and I think we've even discussed this when we had, we had a wonderful lunch out the other day, and all you folks who missed it, that's just tough because you weren't there. <laughs> but it was a wonderful lunch. We had some great discussion over the Word, over some things, and some things were brought up, and questions raised, and answers, and all sorts of stuff, and just the anointing of God was on Wendy's. <laughs> and if you weren't there, then shame on you, you ought to come out to lunch with us. Because we don't record it. But it was so good, I actually emailed all the people that went out to lunch with us and to say, can you help me remember all those questions? And, and uh, some folks passed some things on to me, and Susan wrote a wonderful email and detailed all sorts of stuff. And <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you what, that was great. I sure appreciated that. But this is one of the things I think we were talking about. And I looked at this before when we were over there at that, at that lunch, and I was looking at this in a particular way, and my way of looking at this has now changed. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and the other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now we look at this and here's the question I'll raise for you. Is Jesus frustrated with the disciples? He's over there sleeping. If you were sleeping and people woke you up to take care of a problem, would it be frustrating to you? My first thought was, Yes. He's frustrated with them. But I was corrected in that. Jesus is not frustrated. Jesus is angry. He's not frustrated with the disciples. He is angry with them. Look at some of the other passages here. Matthew chapter 8, verse 25. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. In Luke chapter 8, verse 24, And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Jesus is angry with his disciples. He is not frustrated. There's a difference. Now, I was thinking he was frustrated and I was praying along this lines on, on, on these things. Because I've told you before, the number one study tool at my disposal. And I know I have volumes in my library that you guys do not have. I have put more money into my library than well, more, some people put into their cars. I have put a lot of money into in the library as far as computer stuff is going, as far as references and all sorts of stuff and I have volumes of stuff that I can sit on down and read about anything but my number one study tool is praying in tongues number one study tool whenever whether I'm I'm not sure about a passage or if I am sure about a passage it doesn't matter I always cons consult 
this study tool. And so after I get here on Sunday morning and I get all the things going so that you folks are warm, toasty, everything's open that has to be opened and set up that has to be set up, then I get on over to my office and I get down on my knees about the passage that we're going to get into. And as I was uh, laying in bed last night, still contemplating, because I, you know, there's, there's 10 different directions I can go on any Sunday. And I was contemplating last night which way you want to go, and this is the one that dropped in. Well, I knew what this, I kind of had an idea what this is about. This is an example of Jesus being frustrated. So I was contemplating on this, and nothing was coming to me. So I got down on my knees, and I started praying in the Spirit. What's going on with this thing? I'm not getting the picture of what this is. And I'm praying in the Spirit and praying in the Spirit and still not getting it. Hitting the wall. Just Now, I'm not scared that I'm not going to have what's going to go on because I know God will give it to me. Every confidence in the world that will do that. So I'm praying in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, getting to visualizing this, this thing. And the Lord spoke this to me. I like the way Brother Keith puts it. Brother Keith Moore, he, whenever you hear listen to him, I love the way he puts this. And it's exactly the same way it happens to me most times. It's not a voice that speaks to me, but it's up in my spirit. Up in my spirit came this. Jesus isn't frustrated. He's angry. Now, see, that changed the whole way I looked at this. Because now I'm not looking at two people that are frustrated. I'm looking at one group that is frustrated and one that is angry. Jesus is not frustrated. So now I began to endeavor to go along this way. All right, if Jesus isn't frustrated, and they are, and I actually had to change the entire title of what I put this as this sermon because the title no longer fit. <laughs> My title was actually, got moved on down to the first point here. Who is frustrated? That was actually the title of this. But see, that would be a wrong title. Because it's not who is frustrated. The, the question is, is it okay to be frustrated? So we changed all that up. And we get into this one. As I said, my first thought was, yes, Jesus is frustrated. But I was corrected in that. He's not frustrated. He's angry. Now, what is the difference between that? We're going to get into that here. Now, how about the disciples? Are they frustrated? <laughs> yeah, they're frustrated. I don't think there's too much about that. They are frustrated. They heard Jesus had a desire to go to the other side. Now, there's 12 disciples here. They're not all fishermen, but a few of them are. And when you get into a boat, and you know one of you is a tax collector, and you have other various professions that are going on there, and three of you are fishermen. Who takes charge? The fishermen. I mean, what in the world would a tax collector guide in the ship across the, fo- the, the place for? We got three fishermen who sail on that lake all the time. No, you turn. You certainly turn it over to the fishermen. That's who you do. That's who you want to put into that one. Because you know, if they have an expertise in the thing, that's what you want to do. We had a customer who called up for a bunk bed. And they had a really odd situation going on in their, in their situation, in their place they wanted to put it up in the mountains. And this particular place had been flooded before and they were expecting it might happen again. And they wanted to make sure that whatever they put in there wouldn't get ruined. So they said, what can we do to make this thing waterproof? And I had a couple of ideas. And so I, um, I, I, I talked to a couple of people in the paint department at certain places and got their ideas. And, you know, they kind of were in the same line with, with that. But I have a neighbor who's a painter. He's been a painter for 30-some years. I don't know, maybe longer, probably longer than that. And so I called him up on the phone and I said, what's going on? What would you do if you were in this situation? Would you paint it or would you shellac it or, you know, polyurethane it? 
And he was so adamant. Everyone else was, yeah, you can go either way and it's all fine. He said, he was adamant. He says, no, don't paint it. He was, he was so sure on that thing. I said, boy, you sound really, why are you so sure? No, don't paint it. I was thinking, you know, paint you put outside. I can use an outdoor kind of paint. Put it out. You put that outside. It gets rained on. It gets sit in the water. I figured that'd be the, one of the best ways to go, even though I don't want to paint it. I don't want to. <laughs> Because I don't, I don't like painting bunk beds. This is not a whole lot of fun. Um, so he said, no, no, no. He said, if you, if you paint it, you're using an acrylic. I said, oh, I never thought of that. That's true. If you, if you uh, polyurethane it, you're using an oil base. It'll hold up a whole lot better. And then he said, if you paint it, it'll discolor if it sits in water. And the other one, he, he started giving me his reasons. I said, well, you convinced me. So I called up the customer and I read it off to him. I said, well, I was going to tell you to go either way. But then I talked to my neighbor and he said this, this, this and this. And they said, oh, man, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> so we decided to go that way. And uh, that's, the, that's the direction that we'll eventually go once we, um, once we do all that. If you have somebody who knows what they're doing, you consult them on it, don't you? Ask them about it. Hey, what's going on with that? How would you do this thing? And so you got three fishermen on there. Surely the fishermen are at the head of this thing. Let's get us to the other side. And everybody else just kind of take orders. So they get into the boat. Now understand, you've got three fishermen who have fished in this lake all the time. This is a funny lake. This is a lake that is known for sudden storms. So the fishermen are tuned in to what's involved in getting a sudden storm. And the fishermen okayed the voyage in the boat. There were other people, because one passage lets us know that not only was their boat going, but a whole bunch of little boats. We don't hear about the little boats after the storm comes. Only, we heard about the little, little boats before the storm. We don't hear about any little boats after the storm. All we hear about is their boat. I don't know what happened to the other ones. But something happened. Anybody hear that uh, they found one of those uh, boats that got washed away from the tsunami? Just floating off uh, uh, someplace off of the western Canada there. Found it floating around over there. I guess they'll go get it. They don't expect anybody to be on board. <laughs> but they get into the boat. They have no indication that a storm's coming up. And then Matthew writes it this way in, in verse 24 of chapter 8. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with waves, but he was asleep. So this is a storm that came upon them suddenly, no indication of it. Fishermen did not recognize that this storm was coming. Whatever faint signs you could get that a storm might come, there was none for even the fishermen to pick up. In Luke chapter 8, verse 23, it says, And a windstorm came down on the lake. And this is actually how it came. It came from the mountains and swooshed straight on down into the, the lake and then caused the winds, caused the, the waves to beat up. Now, we've taught on this before. I'm not going to get into all the details of the story. We're going after this for a particular thing. And Luke says, and they were filling with water. So the waves were coming up. And this is not a little boat. It's not a big boat, maybe, but it's not a little boat. But the waves were coming up and they were filling the boat with water. Now, if you are fishermen and the boat is filling with water, what do you instruct the other nine people to help you do? Bail, Bail out the water. I mean, we are not fishermen and we know to do that, right? <laughs> if you have water coming into the boat... You don't want the water in the boat, then the choice is bail the water out of the boat. That's really all the only choice you got to do. 
<laughs> if you don't want the water in the boat, then you got to help the water get out. And so the, they're used. I don't know that they have buckets on there. Maybe the boats came equipped with buckets. I don't know. If I'm getting into a boat with a bucket, I'm wondering. <laughs> but maybe it's kind of a common thing. I know that a lot of boats have pumps and they pump water out that's, that's, that comes on in, but I'm sure that they didn't have pumps. They probably had buckets. And so they all grab some buckets and they start bailing the water out because you don't want the water in the boat. The water takes the boat down and they want to stay up. So the waves are coming and Jesus is not waking up. He's staying asleep. And the waves are coming in, big waves, filling up that boat so that it's coming in faster than they can get the water out. That is not a good situation. As we said, they do what they can with what they know to do as fishermen. What they know to do as fishermen is we bail out the water. But they find out that it's not enough. That the water is coming in faster than they can get it out. Now, have you ever been in a place where what is coming in at you is more than you can put out? What kind of a, what kind of a situation does that create for you? Is it not a frustrating situation? If you have a boss who gives you 10 jobs for every two that you can complete and your inbox is getting higher and higher and higher and your outbox is not keeping up with the inbox and every time you get one thing done, five more show up on the, and you feel like I can't, I can't keep up. It, it creates inside of you what? Frustration. Because I'm not able to deal with what is coming at me at the same speed for which is coming. It's a bad situation to be in. So this is why the disciples are getting frustrated. I put in your outline, doesn't frustration arise when we do what we know to do with all diligence? When we do what we know to do with all diligence and fail to get the results needed? Isn't that when frustration comes in? When I do... What I know to do, I do it with everything in me and I still don't get the results that I need. If you did nothing, you would understand why nothing was happening. But you're doing something and you're applying everything you can to it, but it's not happening the way you need it to. That can build a frustrating situation, can it? And that's certainly going on with them. They're bailing as fast as they can. They're using whatever they have at their disposal to get rid of the water but they get rid of 10 buckets and 20 buckets come in on one wave. And they work to try and get them out and more comes in. And they work to try and get that out and more come in. These guys have, have been on this lake. They have gone through vicious storms before, but this one has them scared. If it has the fishermen scared, what's it doing to the guys like the tax collectors? <laughs> Here's what we think when we get this frustration going on. We think God should look at our effort. And make up the difference. <laughs> Isn't that right? We think that God should be looking at how hard we're working at this thing. That I am doing what I know to do. I'm doing it with all diligence. I'm not getting the results that I need. And I think that God should make up for the rest of it. Anybody else feel that way? I'm, I'm doing all I know to do. <laughs> I can't do anymore. We can't bail out any more water. If they had 12 buckets and they had all 12 of them busy with it, they're doing all that they can. If they have three buckets, 
They're doing all that they can with what they've got. Because all you can do is work with what you have when you're out there on the ocean or the, the sea that's there. We think God should look at our effort and make up the difference. How many times have we faced something in the area of healing? Well, God, I'm doing all that I know to do. And it's still going on. I'm still not healed. I'm still not this. I'm still not that. It, I need you to make up the difference. Isn't that what we're praying to God? I don't know anything else to do. I need you to take up the rest of it. <laughs> and we think He should. Now, how many, let me, let me see hands on How many have ever thought that in the area of healing? I've done all that I know to do. I think God ought to make up the rest of it. Be bold enough. Let me know. Raise up your hand. Yeah. What verse are you standing on for that? <laughs> there isn't one, is there? <laughs> but nevertheless, we still believe that. Even though there's no scripture for it at all, we still believe that. How many can see a problem? No, I'd rather just keep on believing this way that God will come here and make up the difference. I bet you the disciples were sitting over there when they saw that they were getting behind. You know, pretty soon Jesus is going to come here. I just know it. He's going to, some water is going to splash him in the face. I mean, the water's been rising up. Sure, his feet are going to be in the water and he's going to wake up and say, Oh, guys, let me come out here and help you. Let's just keep going. Let's, we're, we're obviously not going to win, but let's just keep it going until Jesus comes on up here. He'll, he'll help us out. Jesus never came. Jesus stayed asleep in the boat. A sinking boat. A boat that is filling up with water. The man Jesus fell asleep and stayed asleep and did not wake up. Despite what was going on. Now you can imagine. If you are in a storm that is this vicious. That is knocking water into the boat. That boat is not staying still. That boat is this way. And that way, and this way. When you were asleep at night and the kids come into the room when they were little and they kind of bumped the bed a little bit, what's that do to you? What? <laughs> right? Don't you get up? You're talking about a bed that is going sideways and then back this way and then back this way and water is coming in. If your kids came in to wake you up in the middle of the night because they had need of something and squirted their water pistol at you. Would it work? Would you, would you wake up? I mean, I'm not saying that you'd be happy, <laughs> but I'm saying you would wake up, right? So Jesus is having waves thrown at the boat, rocking the boat back and forth, and he stays asleep. Now, I've got two things for this. Two things I would think about. First off, he is so exhausted he is not waking up. Or number two, he has pulled what we have done many times as parents. You keep your eyes closed and you don't move. And eventually the kids will go away. <laughs> How many have ever pulled that when you're parent? Eventually, if you just ignore them, they'll eventually leave you alone. They'll go away. They'll find something else to do, right? I wonder if Jesus... I'll have to wait till we get up to heaven to find this out. I wonder if Jesus is just kind of... Closing his eyes and just, they'll figure it out. I know it. They'll figure it out. I don't know which way that it is, but whatever way it is, Jesus does not come in to help them. And they may be thinking that Jesus ought to get on in here and help up, make up the difference here. 
But Jesus is not. And there are many times that we have thought, well, Jesus will come in and make up for what, what I'm lacking in healing. And this thing will go away. I don't know what it is that I'm missing, but I'm missing something. I've told you this before, I think recently, but I'll tell it to you again because it's one of those stories. Boy, I'll tell you what, I remember. Brother Hagin would tell us he was laying there in the, his bed, dying. And he said, if Jesus himself showed up in his room and said, you don't have faith, I would have called him a liar. He said, I do have faith. You're lying to me. I do have faith. And up in his spirit came these words. You believe as far as you know. I tell you what, God does a lot with a few words. <laughs> he really does. He does a whole lot with just a few little words. Hmm. You believe as far as you know. That's where a lot of us are, folks. We believe as far as we know, but we're not willing to change what we know. We're staying right where we are. And we think God ought to make up the difference. We were talking about this on Wednesday. Because I was listening to some stuff reminding me about it. How many times do we pray and then go away from prayer and believe that I will get it? Even though the Word of God says what things you ask for when you pray, believe that you will get it. No. Believe that. Believe that you have received. Doesn't it say that? Pull that up on the Mark 11, 23, 24. I didn't have this in the outline, but it's good to go over anyway. Because we need to do what the Word of God says. Here's the, th here's the problem, folks. A lot of us know better than to do what we're doing. But we do it. Pretending to be ignorant. Keeping our eyes closed when the kids are knocking on the bed. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. But believes that those things he says will be done. That's future. He will have whatever he says. Go on to the next one. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them. Is that present tense, future tense, or past tense? Present tense. I receive it now. Believe that you receive them and you will have them. Is that future tense, the last part? Yes. So the believing part, when you pray, believe that you receive them, present tense, and you will, future tense, have them. Why is it that we continually put this thing in that I believe I will receive them when I have them? Is that not the way we pray? Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. But we do it. Believe that you will have them and you will receive them. That's wrong. And let me tell you what, folks, especially you folks here in this church and other churches as well. You are not ignorant. You know better. It's just a harder road to walk. I've, I've, I don't know who first came up with it, but I've said it, I've repeated it. It's not something I came up with that's new. You, you can, the, uh, I forget who I saw, heard about it, repeating this. We were just talking about it again on Wednesday night. You can have the things you say, or you can say 
the things you have. You can have, as the Word of God here says, you can have the things that you say, or you can say what you have. Too many Christians are going around saying what they have. What do you have? Oh, I have this condition. I have this disease. I have this problem. No, you can, well, you can go around saying what you have, or you can say what you believe. You can have what you say, or you can say what you have. It's your choice. You believe as far as you know. <laughs> Which means we've got to grow in our belief. The Word of God says that nothing is impossible to us. Does that mean nothing? Or does it mean some things are impossible to us? It means nothing is impossible to us. We think God should look at our effort and make up the difference. When He doesn't, we get frustrated. There are three places you get frustrated with. Other people, yourself, and... Which one are you getting frustrated with there? You get frustrated with God. How does that work for your faith? How does that work for you feeding your faith? Feed your frustration. You don't feed your faith when you get into that place. As Gideon was in the land of frustration, you cannot hear the things of faith when you are in the land of frustration. Gideon was in frustration and God Himself was speaking things to Gideon. We just looked at this two weeks ago. Spoke things to Gideon. Gideon, you mighty man of valor. God is with you. How does Gideon hear it? If God is with us, then why? See, in the land of frustration, you cannot hear faith. You think you heard it, but you don't hear it. Now, here's the question. Are the disciples facing more than they can handle? Are the disciples facing more than they can handle? What's the, what's the obvious answer here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They are facing more than they can handle. It has overrun their ability to bail out the water. And their boat is going down. These are fishermen who have determined that this boat is not going to be seaworthy much longer. We are going down. So do they have more than they can handle? So here's the question. Has God permitted them to have more than they can handle? Don't answer that question. Just think on that one. This is just a pondering question right now. Has God permitted them to have more than they can handle? We already can see they have more than they can handle. And they're getting frustrated, as do most of us. We get frustrated when we get more than we can handle. Now, I went and looked up frustration for a definition. And I found a really good one. Did I leave it in your outline or did I take it out? Okay. I had to pull out some... There are some things I had to pull out of your outline and they are on the outline on the internet. I was able to fit them in there, but I could not fit them in your outline. So you can go up there and get some of the other things. I'll get there. But I'm glad this one's in there. A feeling of dissatisfaction often accompanied by anxiety or depression resulting from unfulfilled needs or unresolved problems. A feeling, frustration is a feeling of dissatisfaction often accompanied by anxiety or depression. Of the two, which one are the disciples in right now? Anxiety. <laughs> Resulting from unfulfilled needs or unresolved problems. What did the disciples, in all three passages, what did the disciples come and say to Jesus? Do you not care that we are perishing? There is an unresolved problem and you don't care about it. 
Anybody got an unresolved problem in your life that it seems like God does not care about? And I mean he doesn't care about because it's still there. <laughs> right? That tells us that God doesn't care about it. If, it was, if it's still there, then God, doesn't, God must not care. Because if he cared, it would be gone. All right, I'll say it if you won't. Now, does Jesus rebuke or indicate that he is angry at their frustration? Does Jesus rebuke? I don't know why I have in there or, but shouldn't have that. Does Jesus rebuke indicate? Just cross out that, that word there. We somehow got left over. But does Jesus rebuke indicate that he is angry at their frustration? Yeah. So the disciples get frustrated at facing a situation that is beyond their realm to take care of and it's going to bring them down and Jesus gets angry at them. How many of you know that could be a frustrating problem? <laughs> what? I can't handle this and you're getting mad at me? I'm over here working hard. We're bailing the water. You're sleeping? And you get mad at us? How many could feed? That could feed the frustration. If you are already frustrated... You can get more frustrated because of Jesus' response. If you were Brother Hagen laying on that bed, 16 years old, and Jesus comes to you, or your witness comes up in your spirit, however it was that came to him, and says, you believe as far as you know. How many of you are getting frustrated? He didn't. I hope I respond that way when I, when I face those kind of things. But Jesus rebukes them. He's angry. Their frustration. So, here's, here's the thing. What is the difference between the anger and the frustration? First off, anger is directed at us for, there's a cause. You can put in parentheses that there's a cause. Anger is directed at, at us for, for a reason. There is a reason for the anger. First off, laziness. Now, I wrote more after the, the there's place in your outline for three words here. But I wrote more about that after. It's in mine. It's not in yours. I know I had to take that out. But if you go online, it's all there. So if we forget this next part, you can go online. You can copy it from there. Otherwise, write it down. Whatever way you want to go, whatever way is better for you, here you go. Laziness. Not doing what we know. What we... Uh, I miswrote that. Not doing what we know to do. I don't know why I wrote it in there that way, but I'll have to get up there and fix it before you all see it online. <laughs> Not doing what we know to do. That's laziness. How many of us have ever been lazy before? Laziness is not doing what I know I should do. The lawn needs to be cut and I don't do it. Why? I can have all kinds of other excuses, right? But the basic thing is, I was lazy. I, I mean, you could find a way to get it done, <laughs> right? Before it got to be five inches high. Not necessarily. <laughs> well, then you find somebody else, right? <laughs> All right. But laziness is not doing what we know to do. I know I should do it. I know what Mark eleven twenty three says. I know that I should... Believe that I received them and then I will have them. But I'd rather walk this way. I'd rather believe I've received it when I have it. I'd rather go that way. Why? Everybody together. Because I'm lazy. That way is harder work. That way takes greater effort. I'd rather not put that effort out. 
I'd rather just lay on back here and let Jesus make up for the rest of it. I'm lazy. Number two, anger is directed at us for, first off, laziness. Number two, neglect. Now, you can bear witness with this. How many of you have ever been angry at your children because they were lazy? Did that get you angry as a parent? Because they were lazy? They knew what to do, but they didn't do it. They were, when the project for school is due and you find out about it on Tuesday and it's due on Thursday, how long, what's our first question? How long have you known that this was, well, a couple weeks now? What builds on the inside of you? (laughs) Anger! (laughs) I'm mad! Now you, now you want me to jump in? (laughs) Laziness. Neglect. Neglecting the need to grow and develop in what we know, understand, and put to use. There's a neglect that comes from us. I just let it, it's, it's like laziness, but I'm neglecting it. I'm not necessarily lazy. I'm not doing nothing, but I'm doing other stuff. I'm neglecting that. If you neglect a plant in a house, what happens to the plant? If you neglect the dog, what happens? It dies. If you neglect the cat, what happens? Who said dance of joy? <laughs> I'm only, I'm only messing with you. <laughs> now, if you neglect something, it begins to go away. It fades. There's laziness. There's neglect. Both of those things will get you anger from God. Here's the third one. Disobedience. Refusing to do what is required, asked, or needed. Disobedience. Refusing to do what is required, asked, or needed. Disobedience. Laziness, neglect, disobedience. I'm not saying these are the only three things, but these are three things that will bring anger from our God to us. When we are lazy, when we neglect the things of God, and when we are disobedient. I know what I should do, but I'm not going to do it. That gets us angry. What are the disciples doing? In Jesus' response to the disciples, what does He say? Where is your faith? How is it that you have no faith? These are the things that he's asking them. What, why? Because he says, you've got this. You have the ability to have faith, but you're not using it. Now, remember, the disciples are in a situation where it is greater than what they're able to handle. We asked you a question about that. You still thinking about it? Here's frustration. Frustration is reached by a couple of ways. Frustration is reached by, here's how we get to the place of frustration in our life. First off, by using the wrong tools for the task at hand. When you use the wrong tools for the task at hand. How many are thankful for the wonderful invention of the can opener? How many of y'all know that a hammer and a screwdriver are not the same thing as a can opener? Will that get you frustrated? (laughs) Using the wrong tools will produce frustration because that's not what that tool is meant for the same way you could use a sledgehammer to put up a picture could that be a frustrating situation Uh, using the wrong tools in the wrong situation creates frustration there's a right tool for every every kind of job make sure you get the right tool a good tool the right tool the proper tool is worth everything. 
for the job that you're doing. Using the wrong tool for the task at hand will result in frustration. Using the right tool in the wrong way. Using the right tool in the wrong way will result in frustration. You may have the right tool at your disposal. I've, I've given you this story before, but remember the guy who went to the, the uh, hardware store? Had some trees to knock down? And the guy sold him a chainsaw? And he took it on home and he worked the whole week and he got one tree. And he brought it on back to the hardware store? I worked all week. I only got the one tree down. Man, that's, you should have been able to take care of all of them. So he bring it, bring it on over here, brought it over here, put it on the counter, and the guy took the ripcord and pulled it, and the thing went vroom. The customer said, man, it's never made that noise before. <laughs> so that's using the, the right tool the wrong way. You may have the right tool at your disposal, and you're using it the wrong way. You may have faith at your disposal, but you're using it the wrong way. You use the right tool the wrong way. <laughs> you won't get the results that you want. Bobby and I, we have conversations about barbecuing. Have you ever watched a person use a barbecue in the wrong way? <laughs> they are not getting the results. They're using the right tool, but they're using it in the wrong way. They're not getting the right results. Number three, using no tool. No tool. Either doing nothing or trying it without a tool at all. That'll be frustrating. Try and open a can without a tool. No screwdriver, no hammer, and no can opener. That can get rid of be real frustrating. Using no tool. Last one, taking on what we are not graced or gifted for will result in frustration. Taking on what we are not graced or gifted for. There are certain things that each of us have the grace of God to operate in. There are certain things that each of us have the gifting of God on us to do. There are times we take on things outside of that role. But when we do so, we do it because there is no one else available. And we do so with the idea, Father God, I am stepping into an area. I know this is not what you want me to do, but I'm going to, no one else is here to do it, and I'll pick it up the best that I can. And I'll tell you what, God will help us out with that. But if there is someone else who is graced and gifted to do the thing, and you pick it up anyway, you are standing in their way. And God has no... He'll, he'll let you get frustrated all the way up. All the way down there. Don't do it. Don't pick it up. So four things here. Using the wrong tool for the task. Using the right tool in the wrong way. Using no tool or taking on what we are not graced or gifted for. Now we're looking at this in the realm of the disciples. The disciples are bailing water out of the boat and it's not working. And it has become into a situation that is greater than they are. They are frustrated. And Jesus gets up there and what does he do? Speaks, peace, be still. The wind stopped and the waves ceased. And the disciples said, wow. And he turned to them and says, where is your faith? What does that tell you? He did not expect them to battle the wind and the waves with buckets and the knowledge of a fisherman. What they had endeavored was they were taking on a spiritual battle. Jesus was going to the other side. And the devil, the enemy, decided we're going to take him out. We're going to take him out on the ocean. 
And so suddenly, a storm came up. If you look at the wording in the Greek, it seems to be a storm with only wind, no rain. It was a supernatural storm because the disciples didn't even see it coming. It came on them suddenly. And he's basically saying, you're taking on supernatural area with your natural abilities. And you will come up short. And you will get frustrated. And that is not how you win. You should have your faith in operation. And all you needed to do was stand up in the bow and say, Peace. Be still. The Master has said, We're going to the other side. And they never would have had to bother Jesus. They never would have coordinated that whole bit of getting the water out. They went about it in the wrong way. Folks, too many times we're going about our business in the wrong way, using the wrong tool or the right tool in the wrong way or no tool. And we're getting frustrated. Jesus just turns to us and say, where's your faith? Why are you going about this in the natural? Why are you not speaking to the wind that is causing the waves? So we looked at this story some time before. We saw they were battling the waves. Jesus battled the wind. It was the wind that caused the waves. Too often, we're battling the symptoms. We're battling the waves. We are not going after the wind. Until you deal with the wind that causes the waves in your life, you will get wave after wave after wave and it will seem to be more than you can handle. But it was never intended to be that way. You have enough on the inside of you to use the faith that you have to knock the wind out. I put this in your outline for you. Anger is directed at us from gone or even from, you know, spiritual mentors and such. But anger is directed at us for the purpose of change or correction. Anger is directed at us for the purpose of change and correction. When God got mad with Moses at the burning bush, what did God want to have happen? Wanted Moses to change and to make a correction. To get out of the land of Midian Get over where he was at, supposed to be at. When God came after Saul with anger, his goal was that he would change. And he corrected, he didn't. Anger is directed at us for the purpose of change or correction. Frustration builds in us for the purpose of dismay, discouragement, and or dysfunction. Frustration builds on the inside of us for the purpose of dismay, discouragement, and dysfunction. When you have let frustration build on the inside of you, you become less effective at whatever it is that you're doing. Whatever it is that you're taking on, you will become less effective because the frustration is building and it's pushing you to move. We've gone over this many times before. When you are moved by urgency, it is far easier to make a mistake. Remember Saul? saw the people leaving. Seven days was coming. And so he went ahead and made the sacrifice. If you are led by urgency, you will be more apt to make a, make a mistake. Frustration builds in us for the purpose of dismay, discouragement, and or dysfunction. 
Now, I found a definition for dysfunction. I'm giving you two definitions here today. But I, I love this one because it really gives us an idea of what this is. This, remember, frustration, this is the tool of the enemy. If he can get you frustrated, he can neutralize you. Failure to show the characteristics or fulfill the purpose accepted as normal or beneficial. Dysfunction is the failure to show the characteristics or fulfill the purposes accepted as normal or beneficial. That's what he wants to get us to do. He wants to get us to be dismayed. He wants to get us to be discouraged. And he wants us to get us to, get us to become dysfunctional. This is his purpose for building frustration in our life. If he can get you to fight a battle with the wrong tool or the right tool in the wrong way or no tool at all, he can undermine your faith. He can take you in a direction that is going to be ultimately harmful if he can do it. If Jesus is, does not intervene, what happens to the 12 disciples? They go down with the ship. We don't have the Gospel of Mark. We don't have the Gospel of Matthew. We don't have the Gospel of John. And uh, Luke would never have joined the team. If, jo if Luke was on the team and in the boat, he's gone too. We would have other ones. We would have maybe the Gospel of Stephen and the Gospel of <laughs> Barnabas and uh, whoever. I don't know. <laughs> but it wouldn't be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because they'd all be at the bottom of the sea. That's the direction they were going. And the devil wants the same thing for us too. He wants to take you down. He wants to take you out. He will use frustration to undermine you and to pull you down. He will get you into situations that are overwhelming because you got there the wrong way. You're not fighting what's coming against you in the right way. It is very easy for us to begin to fight what we face in the natural instead of in the spirit. It is too easy for us to fight the waves because we see them. Jesus, in this particular battle, fought the wind. The disciples fought the waves. In your life, you can find that you are getting frustrated because you are fighting wave after wave after wave after wave. But you've never spoken to the wind. So you're getting frustrated. Speak to the wind. And when you speak to the wind, when do you have the thing that you say? When you get it? When you say it. Believe that you have received and you will have. You need to stop falling into faith that believes you have it when you get it. That's not faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you see it, it's not faith. You've got to get into that area. It's a hard battle to go. I like Brother Tony Cook was here a number of years ago and he was ministering. And I don't remember if he taught this here when we were all together or if when we were out at a lunch or something like that, he shared it. But he said this thing that has stuck with me and I think I've heard him say it since there. The faith message is an easy message to teach 
and a difficult one to pastor. The faith message is an easy one to teach and a difficult one to pastor. I meditated on that, pondered on that long time. Oh, I've gotten all sorts of stuff out of that. In other words, it's real easy to hear the message. It's hard to live it. It's hard to live it. Because in living it, you encounter the waves. The faith message deals with the wind. Flesh deals with the waves. We get pulled into the waves all the time. Then we hear these wonderful messages about dealing with the wind and we use it on the waves. You have the faith of God in you. Listen to your words. I've told you this a number of times. You can, you can locate people so easy with their words. And it's not the words they pick. It's not the words that they say. If it was just that simple, you'd get a book, you read the book, you just say those words. It's not that. It's how you say it. it you can't cover it up. I can hear people saying the right words, but I can tell it's only skin deep. It hasn't gone down on the inside of them. They can tell it instantly. You can't always get that across to people, but you can tell. It isn't there. But keep that, keep at it. It's going to get there. As soon as it gets to the point where you have, this is down on the inside of me. I see this. Oh, yeah, I got it now. It changes. It changes the way you act. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you speak. It changes so much about you. And God will speak things to you. Oh, I'll tell you what. While we were sitting here in worship, God spoke something to me. It took me, once, he, once, I, once I got it, it took me a little while to formulate it, put it down into words. I got it mostly there. I said, all right, I got enough of this down. I'll go on home and I'll take out my number one study tool. <laughs> and I'll get this down the rest of the way and we'll bring it on out here for you later on. Phenom- if, if, I, I'll say this to you and some of you won't, folks won't get it, but some of you will. I already know that. But it'll really help locate you into, into this, uh, this area. So hopefully that won't be next week. Maybe the week after that. Give me two weeks to further develop. It's almost there. Almost there. Just understand, if you ever see me pull my iPad out and start working my finger, I'm not answering an email. I don't answer emails. I can't anyway because I didn't have a connection. Not checking sports scores. Can't do that either because it doesn't have a connection. Mm-hmm. The only reason I pull it out because I got something and I need to make sure I don't forget it. God wants to speak into your life for the things that you're facing that are frustrating you. And He wants to speak to you to solve it. I learned a long time ago it's a whole lot easier to listen to God and do what He says than to do anything else. It's a whole lot easier. I had a conversation with my neighbor one of the times we were inviting him to come on down. And he asked me, he says, do, you, do, they, do they tell you what you're supposed to preach every Sunday? I don't know who they were, but I guess you know he's been in churches and they, kinda, they, they, they give the, the pastors 52 sermons. And this is for January the first Sunday and January the second Sunday. And you just preach all those different ones that are there. And I said, no, I've never done that in my life. He says, you mean every, you write every one? And so I was trying to figure out how can I phrase this to him and to, and to get it to him. I don't write sermons. I receive them. I learned that a long time ago. I don't have to write sermons. I just receive them. 
That's why when I get in here in the morning, I just spend some time just praying in the Spirit. I'm receiving. I don't write a, a lick of that outline until Sunday morning. Most times, I don't start it until somewhere in the area between 7.30 and 8 o'clock. I don't write a lick of it. I don't write a bit of it. All the way up until then, I'm just praying and I'm receiving. Now, I pray and receive all week long. But, and I, that's why I said, I have, I have 10 different directions I can go today and still be in line with what we did last week. I got to receive from God. What is it you want to do today? And I just receive that. You know what? Getting sermons ready is the easiest thing in the world. I just receive them. Sometimes I'm out there in the shop working, sanding on something, and God will drop something down. You know how God does with his short things? Just, you know, real short stuff. I'll write that down. I'll tell you what, I've come out from that one little statement here and had, a, had six months worth of, worth of sermons. Took a whole series to, to fully investigate it. Because he's just, he's just powerful that way. Just, you just receive this stuff. See, we're out there. We're working hard trying to develop what we want to do. And God says, no, just receive it. Just receive it. God wants to speak things to you. He wants you to receive it. And you just go out and you act on it. And, and life is a lot easier that way. But we can get real nervous because I think I ought to be working harder. I just received that and I did it and it worked. Wow. That's amazing. Just receive what God says. Put it on out there. God will help you. Don't fight waves. Fighting waves is frustrating. Fighting the wind is beyond your ability. (laughs) That's why we fight waves. Waves are within my ability. Wind is not. I can, it's easier for me to formulate fighting waves. Jesus says, speak to the wind. Speak to the wind. That's all you got to do. You speak to the wind, the waves stop. There's no waves to fight. And disciples say, man, we worked so hard for so long. Jesus said, I just slept. <laughs> Glory to God. Well, there's more on this. We won't get into it as we get going. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us to receive the things that you speak to us for the help that you give us. Father, you want us to deal with wind in our life, not the waves that it creates. There are some natural things, some natural waves that might come into our life that there's no wind behind it. But there are some waves in our life that are created by the wind. We need to discern the difference. We need to listen to you and hear what you have to say. To not react to the waves, but to speak to the wind. I thank you for the help that you give us. To understand your word, to put it in practice, to not be lazy, neglectful, disobedient, incurring the anger of our God, but to use the right tool the right way and neutralize the situation. Father, we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.